Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we are coming at you a little later than normal, and that's because Jared is out with strep throat. That guy decided he was going to go against sick this week. So with me this week, here to throw Gatorade on all you hecklers, it's former NFL and AFL cornerback, one Mr. Eric Crocker. Eric, how you doing today, man? One more time. I'm doing great. How are you doing? Can you hear me? Absolutely. Can hear you just fine. So coming on to talk a little bit about the, uh, the, the, the defensive juggernaut that are the 49ers, uh, because, you know, that's what they're known for, right? Their defense at this point. Right. <laughs> the Man, the right. game against Seattle. Seattle thumped the 49ers 43-16. to It was another typical Seattle game. Niners went in there. There was a little bit of hope. Uh, but very quickly, it became pretty obvious that their offensive strength wasn't going to be that. They could not get their running game going, and the score pretty much rendered it pointless right away. Uh, what did you see in the game that, that kind of took the 49ers out of it pretty quickly? Yeah, you know, um, it was weird because, you know, I, I had like uh, seven on seven. You know, I have a seven on seven team. So we, we had our practice. So it is right in the middle of the game. So I, I didn't catch any of the game until later. So I saw a lot of what everybody was saying, but I had a chance to kind of watch it knowing we, knowing we already lost. So there was like no real like emotion to it while watching it, you know, while watch, uh, watching it for the first time. Um, it was a weird game, man. And I think some of the things that we've seen throughout the season, just just mistakes by the 49ers, uh, shooting ourselves a lot. I mean, we've seen it time and time again um, in, in, in some games that were closer, like the Chargers game or like the Packers game with the fumble with, you know, juice and um, just all these different ways. And, and it, it was the same thing over again. We found ways to shoot ourselves in the foot. We fumbled near the end zone. We threw an interception near the end zone. We uh, muffed a punt. Just all these things that um, have been kind of plaguing us throughout the season, it you know, it just happened again. You know, the Niners typically have a pretty strong run game, and one of their best offensive linemen has been Mike Person all year. And he had really probably his worst game of the year. He allowed six total pressures. He, he's really only had three below average games all year. And those were against really good interior linemen, against Minnesota, the Rams, and, and now Seattle. And while he's always been a much better pass blocker than a run blocker, this was really one of his worst run blocking games. And the Niners, if they were going to win this game, were going to win it on the strength of their run offense. And Mike Person did not have a good game. Richburg's run blocking was abysmal this game. And so that didn't help when they couldn't get any movement along the interior. Richburg just couldn't handle Puna Ford at all. And the Niners couldn't get their run game going. And when they could, the game was already out of hand because they were down by two or three scores. So it's just one of those things where the Niners are good and effective at something, running the ball, that doesn't really keep you in games, especially if it's lopsided. The team's just not built to come back from a deficit like they got under uh, in Seattle because of all the kind of miscues that that you were mentioning. Right. Now, overall, their offense. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's just not a winning brand of football. And, and I know, you know, I I think highly of uh, Shanahan. Shanahan I, I think most people do. But, you know, one thing I will say that has kind of been something I haven't cared for is the lack of discipline. And some of it's not as far. I mean, like, you know, you're playing with, like, basically the replacements. But it's just something that seems to continuously happen. So I'm wondering, like, man, I wonder if it's something that, you know, can coach up and, and get changed. Um, or, you know, is it just we just need better players? So, 
Yeah, I really do think that it's better players because when you look at what the Niners were able to do overall on offense, the offense wasn't terrible. They just continued to see problems on third down and in the red zone, and it's something that's plagued the Niners all year. So far this season, the Niners have actually had pretty decent success on early downs. When you look at their percentage of first downs coming on first and second down, they actually rank fifth in the NFL. And really, really good offenses never get to third down because they stay on schedule, right? First, second down. As a defender, I'm sure you know, right? Like, it doesn't matter whether the offense gets a first down on first down, second down, or third down. Like, a first down keeps the drive going, and it's not going to matter one way or the other if they keep getting opportunities. Uh, The Niners' big plays, uh, they rank eighth in the NFL. But the problem is when they get behind schedule. And they get behind schedule because they get a sack, because they have a false start penalty, because of lots of different reasons or because they just don't have a successful first down. And their offense right now isn't good enough to get out of the hole that they get themselves into every now and again. We saw that with false starts in this game. Uh, we saw that with getting uh, pressure and, and getting Nick Mullen sacked. Just overall, this team is okay if they can stay on schedule. But once they get to third and long, it's nearly impossible to, to get success. Right. Well, if you remember back, you know, even to last year, the, the Jimmy Garoppolo start. Um, one thing that he did very well was regardless of the down and distance, he was able to still move the sticks. There, there were tons of time. If you go back and watch those last five games, tons of time, tons of time where the 49ers um, were, you know, third and eight, third and 10. And he was still making that throw to build us out of a bad situation. And that was part of the reason why, you know, during those starts, the 49ers had, you know, the, the you know, most yards per play, most yards per drive, most points per drive. A lot of it had to do with Jimmy Garoppolo kind of working his magic a little bit. And we're missing that right now. And even though I know we look back on the first three games and it was kind of up and down a little bit, even Jimmy Garoppolo, I thought he played better on the second and third game and didn't get a lot of help from the defense, uh, especially in that third game. But uh, we're, we're missing that, you know, throughout the season where a guy that can actually make a play, uh, you know, more times than not. Right now, when we get behind the sticks, I have no faith that Nick Mullins is going to, you know, complete a pass for 10 yards and get us to first down. Um, I kind of just chalk it up as, you know, where we're about to punt again, where, you know, with Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, and I can't wait to get him back. But um, he he instilled a lot of faith uh, that, you know, OK, we can move the sticks under any scenario. So we're, we're missing that. You know, we're missing our guy. And you know exactly what the defensive coordinators are saying to their defense when they're they're facing the 49ers and it's third down. They're saying, look, we're going to blitz because the Niners are seeing like the third or fourth high, the third or fourth highest blitz percentage in the NFL this season. And we're going to play man coverage along the back end and we're going to dare them to beat us. And when the Niners are uh, they're 26th in average third down distance uh, in the league right now and, and they can't really succeed on third and long. What's to say that that defensive coordinator is not right? I mean, the, the teams have have consistently played the 49ers the same way and it's not much different and it wasn't much different against Seattle. Yeah, well, you know, and part of that too, I mean, when you talk about the blitzing and things like that, the 49ers have kind of struggled to pick those things up. Now, on, on one hand, uh, as much as everybody talks about the offensive line and it's gotten better and it has on a consistent basis, uh, the offensive line is better, especially in the run game. But, you know, they have had their miscommunications. Uh, you know, we've had some free runners right out our quarterbacks and, you know, hit them right in the mouth. Uh, those things have happened. And, and I mean, if I were the coach, I probably wouldn't change anything about the offensive line. Uh, going into next year, I, I think just this season and another offseason will kind of build some continuity along the offensive line and make it better. So, you know, when guys are sending those blitzes, we're, we're seeing it, they're picking it up, and, you know, we're still able to complete those 
passes into areas where maybe, uh, you know, Mullins isn't seeing and Garoppolo will. Yeah, I think you're right. I probably wouldn't change much about the offensive line either, uh, presuming Staley doesn't do something like go and retire. Uh, but but I have <laughs> been I have been disappointed in, in Weston Richburg. I think that he is oh, he's yeah. not. I mean, they, they, this was their big money signing, and he hasn't been horrible. I still think he's been playing better than Daniel Kilgore, but he's not been the steadying force along the interior that I think the 49ers were hoping for. And and yes, he's been helpful and he's been better than Kilgore, but better than Kilgore was not a high bar to clear. Right. Yeah. You know, so like, like I, said, I mean, I'm one of the people like that will always say, OK, let's 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 let it play out a little bit. And and I know, you know, changing, maybe changing a scheme or, you know, being asked to do something that you haven't done, especially on the offensive line and something that, and something that might be a little more difficult. And they're asking a lot of you. It can there can be a transition period. So, you know, he has shown flashes of being good. And I saw last game where he just I mean, I don't even know what the hell he was doing. He missed the guy right up the middle um, and, you know, got our quarterback killed. Uh, I I feel like, you know, with, with this season, they're going to learn a lot about how to play, how, you know, the system and things like that. And going into next year, I think you'll see, a, a, I mean, hopefully, you know, you see a better offensive line where those same mistakes, they're, they're not making them. They, they're, they'll hopefully grow together. Because right now, I mean, the only guys that were on that line from last year are, are Staley and Tomlinson and even Tomlinson you've seen a difference in his play um, from last year to this year so hopefully those guys just continue to grow together especially Richburg since they, he, he has all that money yeah he's got the money man he's got to perform so there was one bright spot though and that was one Mr. Jeff Wilson uh, because Jeff Wilson another undrafted free agent another Shanahan Bobby Turner product he he's another player that shows the true value of a first round running back uh, but he he's someone who, who played well. And, and my question to you is, uh, are you do you play fantasy football or are you in like the fantasy football playoffs uh, so far this year? Uh, my team is kind of struggling right now. Well, let's say that <laughs> I, you I drafted, were I missed around and draft Le'Veon Bell first overall pick. So, let's yeah. say I know I did, too. I'm in my family. League. <laughs> I had Le'Veon Bell and luckily I picked up James Conner and now James Conner's injured. And yeah, uh, it's dude, I'm but I did pick up Jeff Wilson. And Jeff Wilson's going to start because, of course, Matt Bree is injured. The question to you is, do you start Jeff Wilson this week against the Denver Broncos defense in fantasy? Uh, yeah, man. I mean, it seems like, th- I mean, this is the most I've seen as user running back. And I don't know if those are the things that they want to do at McKinnon, but eight catches for Jeff Wilson. Uh, there was some kind of design to that. I mean, have you seen this team run that many screens? I don't know how many we ran, but it seemed like, three or four screens to Jeff Wilson. I, I haven't seen that. I don't know if it was to maybe try to slow down the overly aggressive Seattle defense or if it's, hey, let's get the ball to this guy in space. And, you know, he knows how to run. We like his hands. They lined him out. They split him out wide and had him run a, you know, five-yard in on a third down and, and short and, and threw him the ball so they trust him in those type of situations. Uh, I, I was really impressed, man, and I, and I hope that they, uh, you know, we, we, we continue to, to, to see a little bit more of what, what he can do. It's, a, it's an interesting uh, situation that they're going to have on their hands with the backfield going into next year. I think you're exactly right. I think the team probably trusted him out of necessity. I do think it was going to be a screen-heavy game plan. I do think, to your point, it was going to be to take a little bit of the edge off the pass rush, especially in Seattle where you knew those 
the the one gapping defensive line was going to come after Mullins. So I, I think it was probably definitely a part of the game plan. I don't know that he's going to catch as many passes against Denver, uh, but I'm still, you know, I'm still on the fence about whether or not I'm, I'm going to start him. I don't know. I've got, uh, I think, uh, oh God, who are the running backs? Well, I've got Samuels who I picked up to, for James Conner, but I've got Nick Chubb and Mark Ingram. So we'll see if he ends up cracking the lineup. <laughs> yeah, but let's talk a little bit about some of the breakdowns in coverage. Uh, and this is one where I'm interested to get your thoughts, because obviously, as a former defensive back in the NFL, I feel like you've got some insight here. There are two long plays that I wanted to talk about specifically. One was that long throwback pass to Tyler Lockett. And the other was that deep cross, the the, the touchdown to or I'm sorry, with the, the long pass uh, was to not to Tyler uh, Lockett, but to Jaron Brown. Uh, and then the deep cross was to Tyler Lockett, that touchdown. So let's talk about that long throwback pass to uh, to one Mr. Jaron Brown first, because that was the the play that broke the game open for Seattle. Yeah, well, I mean, that play, there's been something that I've seen like around the league. We saw it with Kyle Shanahan running it week week one, and it went right off of uh, Kittle's hands. Uh, and then the next play was a pick six. Uh, still, still kind of obsessed me. But uh, so we saw us do that same play wide open, right? Um, that very same week, I was watching uh, the Dolphins to kind of see what Minka Fitzpatrick, I'm a big Minka, Minka fan, um, the, the, that same play was ran in that game, wide open. And then we saw it um, a week or so later uh, when the Rams played the Vikings, same play. Rams uh, ran it. They ran it with uh, Cooper Cup, I believe, wide open, touchdown. Um, 49ers ran it versus Chiefs with uh, Kyle Juszczyk. Wide open, touchdown. So that's kind of been a play, uh, I guess, just by the design, the way they sneak the guy uh, down the line of scrimmage, and they kind of suck up, you know, the linebackers and things like that. So whoever's supposed to pick that guy up, their eyes are on the quarterback, and they just never see it. So it's – I want to say that's a – it is a blown coverage technically, but that's something – It's. it seems like it's kind of difficult to to cover. And if you don't expect it, uh, more times than not, man, it's just it's just wide open. So it, it is uh, tough I, to cover. I think I, you're I'm exactly it, right. Yeah, I'm I'm holding it. Yeah, you you have to hold the guys accountable, and you can't let that happen. You have to see it. But it is something that I've seen around the league where it's just been that's the most wide open play I've you know that's I continuously see ran. Um, I've never seen anything like that, but it just keeps happening over and over. So I think you're exactly right. Carl Shanahan made this play famous when he was in Atlanta, and he actually he actually ran it against the Niners when he was the Falcons' offensive coordinator, and of course it worked to, to great success. And since right. then, the plays permeated kind of, all, and that plays all over the NFL. I saw it in college. Uh, I was watching some games <laughs> a couple weeks ago, and and they're running that play as well. And the reason that the play is so popular is because it attacks some of the core fundamental rules of the, the defensive structures that teams like to play. The 49ers, so the play was second and six, 528 in the first quarter. Up until this point, Seattle really hadn't moved the ball super well thus far. The score is still 0-0. Seattle comes out in the three-by-one bunch formation, and they've got reduced splits to the trip side. Now, in a three-by-one, if the Niners are in nickel and they're playing cover three, they're often going to check to cover three Mabel. And and Mabel's a Saban term. And it's his adjustment to cover three, and what it does is it basically plays man-to-man on the one receiver side, and then zone four over three on the three receiver side, basically trying to get a numbers advantage where you see the bunch. And then you're like, all right, I got to trust my guy on the backside one on one. And and then on the snap, Russell Wilson looks like he's going to hand the ball off because in that trips formation, you've got you've got a couple tight ends. You've got one tight end specifically. 
Now, Marshall mm-hmm. Harris, he's the strong safety. He's thinking, okay, I see a tight end here, and as soon as he down blocks, and as soon as Russell Wilson goes to play action fake, Marshall Harris bites real hard. He's a yard <laughs> yeah. into the backfield when Russell Wilson peeks his head back up, and he's going to throw the ball. Now, the, the flaw in this coverage is, of course, you're playing one-to-one, man-on-man, uh, Meg, right, man-on-man everywhere he goes, on the single side. And so if Akella Witherspoon carries that guy across the field, which he has to, then now there's this huge void behind him. And if there's no one there to cover, like Marshall Harris was supposed to, you can just leak someone there, and he's wide the hell open. And that's exactly what happened against Seattle. So this one, yeah, was a really, really good call, I think. It's a, a play that really stresses out the, the traditional check in a three-by-one. But if Marcel Harris plays his assignment, then he follows that first crosser across the field, and he's in coverage, and it's not as easy of a throw for Russell Wilson. Right, right. Yeah, so, and, and I mean, you know, with Marcel Harris, this is his first real action. Uh, there were a lot of good things to, that I saw from him, but also things like that where, you know, he's not used to seeing this. The game is much faster than it is in college. Uh, he's not sure, you know, especially you, you could trick guys that are uh, very inexperienced. This is the middle of the year. Uh, he, you know, so those things are going to happen to guys like him. You hope it's not, or you hope it, you know, it doesn't happen, you know, and, and, and they get a big play like that. But, uh, you know, I, I guess, you know, it's all a learning uh, lesson. And, you know, that's going on around our, along our whole defense, pretty much, you know, a lot of inexperienced guys are, you know, in their first or second, uh, maybe third, you know, third year. Was it common for you when, when you had playbooks, when, when you were playing and you had defensive coordinators that had, I mean, every defense has coverage rules, right? And coverage checks where it's like, if you mm-hmm. see a three by one, we're going to check to, to, you know, cover three Mabel. If you see, you know, maybe this kind of coverage or you see empty and, and we're in a base, you're going to check to this. They're, they're rules, right? You have to play with rules. And that's right. very, very common in the NFL. Was it was it common for you in the playbooks that you learned for there always to be the same checks to the same formations over and over and over again? Well, it just depends on the the game plan for that week. Um, you know, it just depends on who you're playing. So you 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 might have your basic rules, but then depending on what the, the who the team is that you're playing and what they like to do, you might change some of those rules. So like, hey, if you see this and you see that, instead of checking the star like we normally do, let's Let's check. Let's check to Kansas City or you know whatever it's called. So um, depending on who you're playing, your rules might change. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the thing I think that I'm seeing with with Salah is that the the rules he's got multiple check rules and he's got adjustments and tweaks that he's making to the de- to the defense, but that they seem to be within a fairly limited realm. Uh, and I don't see him. I mean, I do see week-to-week specific game plans. I do see things changing. You know, it's just in this constant quest to try and figure out whether or not it's execution and scheme. I think over the course of the year, I've largely thought it's a lot of execution. We're, we're dealing with a talent-deficient defense, especially at one of at two of the most important positions on defense, and that's corner and edge rusher. And and yet we're in a place where you know it it just I, I can consistently see the checks. That, you know, in a three by one, I know they're going to check to Mabel. And I know that they're, if they're going to have three wide receivers spread out, they're going to run a cover six and they're going to run, you know, kind of quarter, quarter and then half on the other side. Like, and, and I'm not super great at watching football, like on the fly. I've got to watch it a couple of times. And if I can watch this defense and be like, all right, I know what they're going to check to, then, I mean, that's exactly what Brian Schottenheimer did. And he was able to pick it apart. Well, 
So what you want to do is like, so say like, you know, we think about the Seahawks, uh, you know, in their glory years, they're still pretty good. But, you know, when they were just the super dominant defense, uh, they ran, everybody knew what they were running. But everyone on that defense understood their responsibilities inside and out. So if you were going to beat them, you just had to be better than the guy across from you on that play. It wasn't so much that you were going to beat them because they were going to blow a coverage. Does that make sense? Now, you might put some guys in the bind and, you know, and, and you would see that at times. But at their very peak, they were so good. You knew exactly what the hell they were running, but it just it didn't matter. I remember watching Drew Brees throw for 75 yards against them. Uh, like they were that good. So, you know, Salah, he, you know, um, obviously we have a lot of young guys and they haven't really grown in this, in this defense yet, but what the, what the hope is and the goal is that the guys can be, you, the guys can come together and be so good. Even when people understand, you know, they know what you're going to run that it, it doesn't matter if they know. And, and a lot of that, uh, y- you need help. And, and a lot of the help comes from having, you know, a good pass rush against a good edge rusher. Because uh, when you got that good edge and you have that good pass rush, the, even if you know what somebody wants to do, you're not going to have a lot of time to let things develop. And we saw that a lot with the Seahawks in those days. And we see that a lot with the Dallas Cowboys now. So I think that the it, it, to me, this was one of the games where I thought to myself, okay, Robert Sala, like you legit just got outcoached. Because there were a lot of times where, you know, and even on that first play we, we just talked about, if Marshall Harris actually executes all the way, it's probably not, I'm not saying it's not a completion, but it's a much more difficult throw for Russell Wilson. Uh, the, right. the next play, the touchdown to Tyler Lockett, that was going to be, I mean, that's the, the, the play that really broke it open because it's 6-0 six, six Seattle at this point. It's the ensuing drive. It's immediately after they had that long uh, that long touchdown. It's first and 20. So the Niners have gotten them behind the sticks. The ball's at midfield, though. And so it's, it's a perfect place to take a shot. It's early in the second quarter. Seattle comes out in 22 personnel. And so the 49ers react with base defense. This was the original, this was the initial chess move that Brian Schottenheimer has that begins the end of, of kind of the defense that Salah's calling because Seattle does the same thing. They align with another three by one and they've got a one receiver side of the bunch or they've got one receiver on, on the kind of passing weak side and they've got a bunch on the other side. They put two tight ends and Tyler Lockett to the bunch side. This time the Niners adjust, but they don't make the same adjustment. They go with cover three skate. Now cover three skate is a lot like cover three Mabel. You've got man to man with the receiver that's all by himself, but this time the safety works to the one receiver side. And that, in this case, is Marcel Harris. And that's to cover the back. So Marcel Harris does his job, takes the back who leaks out. And the, the, the corner does his job. He's got his receiver man-to-man. But now you've got Richard Sherman, Akella Witherspoon, and you've got good old Malcolm Smith worrying about that trip, uh, that, that bunch trips formation. And what ends up happening is because both tight ends end up running up the seam and attacking the free safety and the corner who's in a deep third, in this case, Richard Sherman, it leaves Tyler Lockett one-on-one with none other than Malcolm Smith. And that's just, I think, Brian <laughs> Schottenheimer understanding exactly how to attack the check and the specific call the Niners are going to make in that situation and, ex- and, and exploiting it and putting Lockett in a position to go one-on-one against Malcolm Smith. And, and you know, Brian Schottenheimer, I wouldn't say is, you know, he, he's done a, a, a pretty good job this year in Seattle but if Robert Sala isn't able to kind of get a leg up on Brian Schottenheimer, I don't know who he's going to be able to get a leg up on in the NFL. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, that, that play is, 
again, remember, I, I wasn't watching the game live. So, I'm, you know, I see notifications in my phone. I see guys outraged. Why is Malcolm Smith on Lockett? That's just a disaster. And so I'm like, man, this must have been really bad. And then I saw the, the play, and it's kind of weird. Like, he actually wasn't in bad position. No, it looked know? like Lockett I mean, pushed off, right? You, it looked yeah, like he pushed you off. Don't, you, you typically you don't want that matchup. Um, you don't want your linebacker to have to run down the field with a speedy Lockett. Uh, you know, definitely I would give the edge to Lockett. But I think uh, Malcolm Smith pretty much played it almost as well as you could. He didn't make a play on the ball. He got pushed off a little bit. Um, Lockett was able to create just enough separation at the end, at the uh, end of that to catch the ball and, you know, walk into the end zone. But um, I, I guess the way that when you think of, you know, if you're Robert Sala and, and the way you design it and if that's what was supposed to happen, I thought it played out as well as it could aside from Malcolm Smith just not breaking up the pass. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I think in that case, you're absolutely right. He played it as well as he could have. And at least unlike Marcel Harris, he was in the right spot. He was the guy who was supposed right. to carry the crosser. He was, you know, he wasn't in phase, but he was close enough that Tyler Lockett did look like he pushed off in order to make that catch. But it, it's right. just another one of those instances where there was a tendency. Schottenheimer and the Seattle and the Seattle offense identified that tendency, and they were able to exploit it. They they got what they wanted by putting out a specific type of personnel. They got base defense from the 49ers and in base defense, it's going to be Malcolm Smith who carries that deep crosser and not a safety or a nickel corner. So uh, I think this was a game where Brian Schottenheimer absolutely got the best of Robert Sala. And and I think overall it showed in the score. So by the time the Niners were finally getting on schedule, because who the hell thought that the first quarterback to throw for 400 yards in a very, very long time in Seattle was going to be an undrafted free agent, Nick Mullins. <laughs> and and yeah. you know, it was one of those things. Though, but by the time the offense settled in, they were already so far behind that the, that offense is just not good enough to, to come back because what they rely on is the run game and not necessarily the pass game. Right. That is right. And you can tell that, you know, they put us, they put the 49ers in a, in a position to where, you know, they definitely weren't comfortable. I mean, falling behind 13, zero, um, out, out the gate. Uh, that that's not something that you you want to happen, especially you know out there in Seattle. And uh, it was good to see them kind of battle back. And then of course you know we had our mishaps after that. But um, overall, I, I guess you know just kind of looking back on on the way it all played out, it's tough. You know, and I, I kind of feel bad for Shanahan. He's doing the best he can. Uh, but th- this entire season, man, I think uh, it's a it's a it's a weird situation, but I think it's great. It's actually a great situation to me because you get to truly evaluate guys and figure out exactly what the next move is during this offseason. So I think the way it has played out has been good if you are thinking about, um, uh, like, okay, we absolutely need to move on from this guy or we absolutely need to move on from this guy. Does that that make sense? Yeah, I think it's an evaluation here. It's a very, a very good evaluation because, again, 49ers have high draft picks and a ton of money. So, you know, there are guys and there, there's going to be some free agents out there that can help the 49ers. And But right now you have a chance to figure out, okay, some of these young guys, are these guys that we can keep or do we need to improve at, at that? And, and a lot of guys, you can't hide right now. You can't hide. Um, you can't hide behind Garoppolo. So it, it, it's, a good, it's a good chance to really – truly evaluate the team for what it is um, instead of kind of like last season, the, the last half of the season where uh, 
a lot of our uh, holes got covered up by Jimmy Garoppolo playing so well. Now, one of the players that is shining so far, and now that he's back from injury, is one Mr. Dante Pettis, and that's going to be the spotlight player of the week this week. He had the game in Seattle that Michael Crabtree always wanted. He had six targets, (laughs) five receptions, 129 yards, two touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 158.3 when targeted. And perhaps the most impressive was his touchdown reception uh, on that long slant that he had, his his 78-yard touchdown reception. And it was because of his pre-snap recognition. In a post-game interview, he said that when he saw the safety kind of aligned over on the opposite side, he adjusted his route based on the position of of the safety and ran his route a little deeper, and he hoped that Mullins would notice. Mullins didn't need notice, hit him on that slant, and 75-some-odd yards later, you've got yourself a touchdown. So he's been playing really in the spot that Marquise Goodwin is now going to come back and occupy. And, and my question for you is, what do you do now? You've got Dante Pettis, who's been playing really well, and you've got Marquise Goodwin now, who's the presumptive starter at that position. Do you move, you know, do you move Pettis to Garcon's position and let Goodwin kind of play his? Or do you see kind of a different kind of rotation happening with Dante Pettis now that Marquise Goodwin's healthy? Man, that's a tough question. Um, I, I think I want to see my guy that I just spent the second, I traded up for a second round draft pick. That, that's what I want to see. So, Goodwin, you know, I appreciate you and everything like that. But if this is Pettis' natural position where we want him to play long term, I'm keeping Pettis there. And Goodwin, you're just going to have to move around somewhere <laughs> so I can were, uh, get a better evaluation for this young guy. If you were prepping for this 49ers offense and you were looking at the game plan and you're like, all right, I've got to cover either Marquise Goodwin or I've got to cover Dante Pettis, which player worries you the most tomorrow? Uh, I, I'd say I, I'd still kind uh, let's see because they're different type of players yeah I mean, you've got to worry about Goodwin's speed like you don't want to yeah. get beat deep right so you worry about Goodwin's speed but then you worry about Dante Pettis just shaking you off the line because his ability to release and his ability to separate at the top of the route are really really good even though Marquise Goodwin his ability to separate at the top of the route has gotten really really good the last year and a half and he's no slouch either when it comes to getting in and out of his breaks at the top of the route. So which which poison are you going to pick, Eric? <laughs> I would probably say Goodwin because he's just so fast. And at the end of the day, man, speed kills. Uh, it's still Olympic speed. He has fresh legs. He hasn't played in a while. Uh, you know, he had his uh, personal reasons and whatnot. Uh, that, that I'd still probably be a little bit more, uh, quote unquote, afraid of Marquise Goodwin. But um, man, Dante Pettis, you know, yeah, everything you said is correct, man. Those, those routes, uh, that's been a big thing that people have been harping on, you know, throughout training camp. And I saw a lot of fans kind of getting down on them, calling them a bust already. And uh, I think the reason why you don't rush to judge, especially like rookie receivers, is you heard him in the in the post game uh, interview and saying talking about, you know, he, like you said, his pre pre snap, uh, you know, read and his adjustment that he had to make. Those are things that these young guys learn in time, and, and, and they didn't have to do a lot of these things in college so um give these guys time man and 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 just seeing you know listening to him you understand that okay this guy is progressing he's going in the right direction uh you have to just uh you know let let these guys let these young especially young receivers man let them let them develop but yeah uh i know you asked me who am i more scared of and i, I probably would say goodwin just because um in a straight line he can he can threaten he can threaten the defense uh, put, he puts a lot more pressure on the defense 
Yeah, I think that in previous games, Pettis has played a little bit of, of both the X and the Z and has even played in the slot. So I think Goodwin probably assumes his position and what he's been playing. And then Pettis kind of assumes a little bit more of the Garcon role. But these are, I think, at this point, two of the top three options that the 49ers have out on the field. And it'll be good, especially against the Broncos, who are coming in a little limping, which we'll talk about here in a second. But real quick, let's hit some some top stories for maybe about two or three minutes as we get through uh, before we yeah. hit the Broncos. Matt Breida finally succumbs to a second ankle injury on the same ankle and is out for week 14. He's going to miss his first game since high school. Uh, so for all wow. of you people that are saying that he's injury prone, uh, that's surprising because he hasn't missed a game in a very, very long time. Someone else, though, Jaquaski Tart, out with a shoulder stinger. Uh, that's been bothering him all year. So now I don't know who the hell the team's going to play at safety. Um, I mean, <laughs> Eric, you should give the team a call. You want to stand out in front of uh, 4949 Centennial with a sign that says, like, I can play safety too? Because I think right. we, might, we uh, might need that help. <laughs> I'd assume, uh, I'd assume uh, DJ Reed or, or Exum, those yeah. seem like the guys that I think been, Reed's you know, they've back. been taking turns back though. I think Reed's coming back. And so if so, then I think he probably ends up playing free safety. Because, um, I mean, Exum is probably going to, you know, at, at this rate, if Marcel Harris has more coverage busts, then they'll bench him and they'll rotate XM in and it'll just be another. I'm, I really want to know how many different starting variations of, of defensive backfield the 49ers have had. I, I can't. What do you think that number is at? Like eight, nine? Yeah, I, I was just going to say about eight. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so And with, you know, with about four games to go, that's not, it's not something that uh, you really it's want. It's not good. <laughs> no. Uh, update on Solomon Thomas. He is clearly getting more snaps along the interior now that Kyle Shanahan has made it pretty clear that he wants him to play one position. This is a quote from Kyle Shanahan. He says, quote, I think one thing going forward, I'd like to see him more just at one spot, which can be tougher for him because he's going to be in some situations that aren't really ideal for him. But I want to see him fight through it and see if he gets better or worse at it and just see where he's at. I think as the rest of this year goes, I think you'll see more of that. So to your point, I think, Eric, Shanahan is using this as an evaluation year. And even though it's not an ideal situation for Solomon Thomas, he wants to see him at that interior spot. He played 14 of 29 spots, uh, 14 of 29 snaps inside the B gaps. And he didn't have a super great game. He just had, I think, one quarterback hit, one hurry uh, total. And his grade wasn't all that great. But at least he's getting some time at his, at his more natural position. Right, and that's what a lot of people, you know, have been lobbying for to see him more in that interior. Uh, again, uh, the more the more he gets time there, the better, you know, you'll see him get. So um, hopefully, but but at least you find out whether he can do it or he can't. And uh, if, if you see some flashes, that's something to build off of. If you don't, then maybe you know you can figure something else out. Where else? I don't know because he's playing everywhere else on the D line. Yep. So DeForest Buckner is now just one sack away from being the first 49er with double-digit sacks since Alden frickin' Smith, which, please, can we get some double-digit sacks up in here, please? Uh, and Dakota Watson is now an injured reserve with a calf injury. So now it's Pita T time. Pita Taumo and a penu. Yeah, do you think he's going to do anything, or do you think he's going to be another one of these, like, I ah, looked good, practice squad hero, but didn't do much <laughs> of anything uh, when he got called up to the bigs? I mean, I think... I mean, it, it's kind of hard to say because I want to say when they waited so long, maybe they know something that we don't, and maybe the, what maybe they do know is that, that he's not very good. <laughs> but you know, you've seen Jeff Wilson. You know, they waited a long time for him, and you know, he played well. So I guess you know, it's just you know, we'll see, and and, and hopefully he does kind of you know help give some pressure you know on the quarterback off the edge. Yeah, I mean, he's going to bring the speed that the that the team just doesn't have right now, and and so I think that if anything, at this point, 
might as well because what the hell else you got to lose? This is straight eval right. time, just like you said. So uh, I think it's 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 good that he's getting brought up, and I'm I'm excited to see him play. I'll, I'm, I'd like to see what he does against the Denver Broncos. So so speaking against the Broncos, let's talk a bit about what that game is going to look like. The the Broncos are coming in limping because of course they had some key injuries this week. One Chris Harris, uh, he broke his leg, but the team's not ruling him out for the year. How difficult would it be for you to play on a broken leg? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I fractured, I fractured my ankle. I had like a high ankle sprain with a fracture in it. And, um, now it's, it, it, it's very difficult. It is very, very Did you still you, play you with that? I did. Well, at first they told me I just had a regular sprain. So it was kind of weird, man. I was limping around practice and I'm, I'm collapsing because my ligaments are all messed up and everything. And they shot me up before the game. So I was able to kind of, playing the game but i couldn't really i could run full speed straight but anytime i had to stop or cut it was then then you're impossible so after that they ended up putting me on injury reserve but uh yeah that wasn't wasn't my god that sounds extremely painful that sounds awful yeah well yeah uh so chris harris apparently he's a a needle away from being able to run straight but he's been ruled out of the 49ers (laughs) game uh and emmanuel sanders uh, ruptured his achilles tendon or i don't know if that's been confirmed but that was the worry uh, and he's not going to play against the 49ers either. Now, the 49ers' strength on defense is against the run. They're 16th in DVOA against the run, and their weakness is against the pass. And now the Broncos come in with uh, Cortland Sutton as their only wide receiving threat. And and the 49ers, of course, have the return of Marquise Goodwin. They've got an additional weapon to threaten a Broncos secondary that is missing their best corner. Uh, but overall, I think this Broncos team still looks good. Uh, so do you think that the Niners are, are with the Broncos injuries, going to be able to give the, the Broncos a run for their money? Uh, I mean, we're still at home and four-point underdogs. So <laughs> uh, the Vegas doesn't have much faith in this. Uh, nah, I mean, I, like I said, it's been a continuous theme of, you know, even if the field is a little, you know, uh, a level playing field, we find ways to kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. And I think that'll kind of, you know, just continue. You know, I'm, and I kind of hope I'm like the most competitive person ever. So even times like this, I usually want to win. But I think getting Joey Bosa, I mean Nick Bosa, is so important that right now I'm like, ah, you know, you guys just go ahead and uh, hang this one up. What's, <laughs> I don't know. What's the make psycho- it make it close? Man. What's the psychology of that locker room? When when you know you've been in NFL locker rooms, you've played, you know, and and, and so you think to yourself, okay, you you know the writing on the wall. This team's been eliminated from the playoffs. And, you know, you've still got three more years left on your contract with this team. Do you, I mean, you want to win the game, obviously. I, I, I think that you echo the sentiments of a lot of NFL players who are like, yeah, I'm competitive as all holy get out. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't damn competitive. But do, is there something in the back of your mind that's like, nah, we can lose? Well, I don't even think at this point you're playing to win games. You're playing for your job. So it's like, if I want to be a part of this this uh you know rebuild and i want to be a part of this process i gotta bust my ass every play regardless of what's going on so that's kind of more of the mindset than anything i mean whether we win or lose like one person typically can't um control that and if we're just outmanned across the board uh you know there's nothing i can really do about that but one thing i can control is my effort and me being the most prepared that i can be and making sure that you know if we do lose it's not on something that i did wrong yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I think getting back to the Broncos, the the thing that the Broncos can do, the feather in their cap is they can still rush the passer. 
and they are very, very good at rushing the passer. Of course, they've got Nick Chubb, and they've got Von Miller. Now, the pass rush basically makes Nick Mullins look non-functional. When, when you look at the splits for Nick Mullins, he actually <laughs> isn't terrible with a clean pocket. He's got a quarterback rating of over 100 in a clean pocket. But when you put Nick Mullins under pressure, when you get bodies around his feet, he all of a sudden, drop, his quarterback rating drops uh, over 50 points. And that's like the fourth or fifth highest delta between a clean pocket pocket and a performance under pressure. So uh, I think ultimately the the Broncos are going to put some pressure on Nick Mullins, and that will probably decide and tip the game, especially if they can get uh, a lead on the strength of their remarkable rookie running back, Philip Lindsay. Uh, and that's going to be the well, matchup that I'll be watching because Philip Lindsay looks pretty damn good. Well, if, I mean, if you watch Mullins when the when the pocket is kind of I wouldn't even just say collapsing, but, you know, if somebody gets pushed back or anything like that, he rarely moves. He rarely moves. You know, like, you know, we talk about uh, Tom Brady and and Peyton Manning and all these other guys that aren't the most athletic guys, but they understand how to move and slide in the pocket to buy a little time and be able to hit a guy. But he doesn't do that. When that pocket, I mean, I've seen times where a guy is getting pushed right back into his face and he still stands there and just tries to throw it over the guy. Like, do slide to the right a little bit or slide to the left. Um, his pocket awareness, and maybe that's something that guys can gain over time, or maybe that's just something that some guys just naturally have. He doesn't have it right now, and he has to figure it out, at least not on a consistent basis. Too many times I see him just standing there and try to throw, uh, regardless of what's happening around him. Uh, he never helps himself out, never slides to that open area. So uh, I, I think that's a, that has a lot to do with, you know, his struggles. Uh, from, you know, with, with the kind of collapsing pocket. Well, if Nick Mullins is going to see some pressure, I think Philip Lindsay, it's going to be interesting whether or not he sees a little bit of daylight because he comes in with an offensive line for the Denver Broncos that's been blocking very, very well for Philip Lindsay. He's seeing contact on average 3.68 yards down the field. That's the best in the NFL. And and so his offensive line is is blocking things up really well for him. But Lindsay is also combining vision and speed to produce some really, really remarkable numbers. He's an undrafted rookie, of course, and he's tied for third among running backs with 28 rushes of at least 10 yards this season. And that's in large part due to his patience and his speed. And there are 35 running backs who have seen at least 100 rush attempts this season. And he ranks fourth among them by picking up either a first down or a touchdown on 27% of his carries. That means one out of every four times he touches the football. It's either a first down or a touchdown. Uh, and it's just, you know, yeah. another another reason, if you're building the argument that running backs should be taken in the first round, is Philip Lindsay, considering that he was, of course, drafted in the first round. Uh, no, he wasn't. He was undrafted. So is Matt Breida. Uh, and that's why you shouldn't draft running backs in the first round. Right, yeah. I mean, I, I was the main person. And I've seen this argument a few times, but when the Giants took Saquon Barkley, and it's like, man, yeah, he's a, he's a terrific running back, um, terrific athlete, and you could do so many different things with him. But you you can get production out of running backs. I wouldn't if if I didn't have a if I have my quarterback, then yeah, I can take a guy like that. I did not understand them taking uh, Barkley over trying to get that franchise quarterback because that's much harder to, to find than a running back that can that can uh produce and, and we're seeing that with Lindsay, we're seeing that with Brady, and we're also seeing that with Jeff Wilson. Yep, exactly. Jeff Wilson, starter and winner of fantasy championships. Uh at least <laughs> last week. 
All right, yeah. so Denver's favorite, I think, by five and a half. I don't know if the line's moved. Last time I checked was like a couple days ago. Has the line moved yeah, to four? I saw it at four. Yeah, I saw it at four. Okay, so line's at four. Do you think the Niners cover? That's, that's a tight, that seems like three. a tight line, doesn't it? Well, you, it's at four, and, and they give the home team three, so they really feel like we should be seven-point underdogs. Yeah, but even then, though, I, I feel like Denver is Denver's a kind of a, a mercurial team because they, they are, of course, really, really good at running the ball. They're good at rushing the passer, but I, I guess those injuries are what's moving the line. I just I don't see the Niners. Right. I don't see the Niners winning this game. Well, and, who's going to guard? I think they're looking at who's going to guard Pettis. Who's going to guard Goodwin? Yeah, I mean they're just overall. I mean Chris Harris is out, sure, but their defense isn't terrible. And I think that when you've got, I'm interested to see what Von Miller and Chubb do against the the tackles because the tackles played a, a decent game in Seattle. It was a lot of interior pressure. I mean, it was it was Reed who was getting a lot of the pressure, and Puna Ford who was blowing up the run game. But I'm curious to see exactly what happens because I don't I don't think it's going to be that close. I think it'll be a a seven to nine point game, and I think Denver's still going to win. Uh, and and I just I don't know that it's going to be that close. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't have much faith in Mullins right now, so um, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I mean, you look at their you look at their corners, right? And their corners are not great. Uh, you know, it's uh, Roby, Bradley Roby, uh, and then you've got another name that's going to be super fun to pronounce, Isaac y- Yidam, I guess. Um, <coughs> is he starting? Uh, yeah, it looks like. I mean, he's he's got to be starting because Chris Harris is out, um, and so their strength is really along their front. You know, you've got Gostas, Pecco, Miller, Chubb, um, and so if you're going to attack the that defense it's going to be through the air and i'm going to be just be curious if the niners are going to be able to do that no i, I really like Yudem coming out of boston college I, I thought he was one of the more um overall complete cornerbacks in the draft really yeah so far his pro football focus grade is 52.3 so not spectacular and he's been he's had spot right. play right so he's played a little bit here and there but he played right. the most snaps in week th- in week 13 obviously i think because of the injury uh, and so now you're going to see him starting uh, and trying to guard either Pettis or Goodwin. Uh, and so I think it's going to be interesting. I think if the Niners are going to be able to win this game, it's because they're able to stay on schedule, run the ball uh, against that front, and and then try to pass it. And I don't know that they're going to get much in the run game. So if Mullins, this may be the game that Mullins ekes out, but I, I still don't see it with Miller and, and Chubb breathing down his neck. Yeah, it, the the matchup with Pettis, I think, I think that's what I want to see. And I, Obviously, I think Kittle is the guy that we kind of go to and feature. But I would like to see them feature uh, Pettis a little bit more and try to get him more involved, drop some things more for him, um, and see if we can get some more chunk plays. Yeah, absolutely right. So you think the Niners don't win, but do they cover? No, I don't think we cover. Yeah, I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't, think, we, I don't think they cover either. I don't, I don't think they win. I don't think they cover. I hope we do. I hope we do. I hope it's a good game. I hope it's entertaining. But, you know. Like I said, well, I, for the it, elegant it, tank to live on, the Niners cover but lose. Like that's the definition of the elegant tank. Yeah. So far, yeah. you know that's it's one step closer to, to Nick Bosa because at this point, we're we're really rooting for the Saints because if the Saints win out, then the Rams can't rest their starters in Week 17, which is when the Niners play them. We're of course rooting for Oakland because Oakland. Oh man, I thought they were going to steal a game against the Chiefs, and they didn't. They couldn't even get that right. <laughs> So, I mean, those are the teams we're really rooting for. Uh, and, of course, we're rooting for the Jets as well. So, go Jets, go Raiders, uh, go Saints, uh, and we'll see what happens on Sunday. Right, right. Awesome, Eric. Well, thanks for coming on, dude. It was, it's always good talking ball. 
Uh, have fun over the course of the week, and, and we'll see what ends up happening on Sunday. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks again to Eric for joining us on this week's show. Catch us next week when hopefully Jared's going to be back strep throat free. And as always, go Niners. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation. And I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain. Or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission. Or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.